Welcome to the Thinking Practitioner Podcast. A podcast where we dig into the fascinating issues, conditions, and quandaries in the massage and manual therapy world today. I'm Whitney Lowe. And I'm Till Luca. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Thinking, Thinking Practitioner. Practitioner. The Thinking Practitioner Podcast is supported by ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals. ABMP membership gives professional practitioners like you a package including individual liability insurance, free continuing education, and quick reference apps online scheduling and payments with Pocket Suite and much more. ABMP CE courses, podcast, and Massage and Body Work magazine always feature expert voices and new perspectives in the profession, including uh, articles by Whitney Lowe and by self to Luca. Thinking practitioner listeners can save on joining ABMP at abmp.com slash thinking. Well, hello, Whitney. How are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Nice to be here with you again. Last time I saw you, it was in person. That was so wonderful. It was great to get a chance to uh, hang out with you and uh, spend some time here. We haven't really had a chance to do that much at all um, before no. in our history. So no. that was delightful um, there at the Fascia Research, Research Congress in Montreal. So um, yes, surprise, surprise. You came along. I was so glad you did. And uh not only did I get to enjoy the event, but I got to bounce things around with you. And now we get a chance to kind of talk about it, share our takeaways, that the dust has settled a bit. That was, uh, you know, at this point, a week or two ago. Yeah. We were there. So I look forward to that. Um, should we jump right in? Where do you want to Where do you want to start? Yeah. So we decided we wanted to have a, an episode to kind of recap some of the key things that were um, present for us. And you know, we, we both wrote down some specifics on here, but I also want to make a couple of general comments, um, okay. I think, in terms of my impressions of the event. Uh, I had a number of my students have asked, like, tell us what it was like. Tell us what it was about. What'd you learn? All <laughs> hey, this kind of stuff. I think I've been getting like so many of those um, Facebook messages and texts from friends that here I'm there. They want to know what I think, you know, what it was. What are the takeaways? What are the goodies? Yeah. So, yeah, this is a chance to like en masse list those out so we can just send that out to all of our friends or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So a couple of general impressions that, that I had were, you know, this is my third event, third um, Fascia Research Congress. You've been to all of them. Is that right? Uh, I missed, even... I missed one, but this, yeah. I've been to five out of the six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I would say that consistently, and this is something I heard from a number of people there that I, I still feel like you know, there's a kind of a theme, a running theme from the organization trying to bring researchers and clinicians together to look at these things. That's and, the stated yeah, purpose, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of stated idea. My personal impression is I still feel like we're falling short of really getting a lot of attention equally to those kinds of things. There seems to be still a pretty strong emphasis on a lot of delivery of, of research results in most of the presentations that were there. And I mm -hmm. heard a number of comments from clinicians feeling like they still, you know, wanted something that they could kind of like sink their teeth into or wrap their hands around to really figure out what does this change about what I do in, in the treatment room. And uh, uh -huh. that seemed to be kind of a, a theme that I still heard a little bit, like we're, we're still not quite at balance yet, I think maybe. Oh, okay. So you were looking for more hands-on applications or more practitioner pre presentations or more applications than you got, you're saying? Yeah. And you know, um, I was talking to somebody about this um, 
they had an interesting perspective. And, and again, let me also say, for me, there was just absolutely tremendous benefit in the outside of presentation conversations uh, I had with colleagues and you know people that I have long admired, wanted to ask them questions, you know, went and talked to lots of folks. Uh, those are some of the most valuable things about being at these sorts of, of events with people. But uh, yeah. I was talking with somebody, I can't remember who this was, just saying this, that researchers and clinicians really have different ways in which they would approach being at an event like this and what they get out of it and what they're looking for here. Because uh-huh. a researcher can go to a presentation or deliver a presentation and get asked questions and say, I don't know, we should go back and look at this again. (laughs) And in two years, they come back with another tweaked study of something, looking at these different things. The clinician is trying to serve people who come to them in the clinic and want some kind of immediate result, uh, something to change in their life with why they're coming to see you. That's right. And as clinicians, we don't okay. have that sort of we don't have that freedom or liberty to just kind of say, I, I don't know, I'll give me we two years to figure this out. Give you know? it to ourselves as much. Yeah. It's not quite the same that your client says, Hey, my back hurts. He says, Well, yeah, further research is needed on that. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. No, that's that's true. Yeah. We're very results oriented and action oriented as practitioners and practical people. That's why they call us practitioners. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I think I think I know what you're talking about. And I, uh, in terms of that balance, it was certainly was a lot more research than practice, but they've all been like that. They've all been like that. And it's, you know, it's, I don't know if it's ever billed as an equal, uh, equal time for each as much as a chance for for practitioners, mostly to to learn from uh, researchers and for researchers to get together and talk to each other. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I know what you're saying. And that's, that was the theme of most of the, uh, past events and past and the questions will come okay so how does this apply well how can we actually use this and that's where you and i come in that's where you and i help to get to help translate a little bit of that yeah Mm -hmm. but i gotta say um i know some of the reasoning behind that as i understand it too was political in that it's there's a there is also a tradition in academia of exchanging ideas and comparing notes and getting together and treating um uh, collaborative insights and forming new partnerships. We unfortunately don't have that much of that tradition in the practitioner world. We're more competitive. Yeah. And when they started looking at who we're going to bring in as practitioners to present in this prestigious conference, it got really political really fast. Who was being mm. left out? Yeah. And so initially mm. there was a really clear decision. Let's not even have it about practitioners. Let's have it about the research. Now, yeah. some of that's trickled in and I was really honored to be one of the uh, pre-conference presenters. I got to present my stuff for a day as well as a few other people. So I think there's they're finding ways to work that in around the outside, but it's you're right. It, it's, it's very much a research uh, conference mm-hmm. for practitioners as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, with me being there and presenting the first day, I got to say that that was uh, the big event on my horizon, both preparing for that and being ready for that. And uh, and then the delivery of that took a lot of my focus. And so by the time that was done and I jumped in the conference itself, I was just so relieved that that was behind me. Yeah. That I sat back in my chair and let the reams of information just wash over me. Mm-hmm. And so I have... Uh, a few pages of notes here 
but I, you know, I wasn't mining it for the same pithy takeaways that I maybe have in the past when I was like writing it up for massage and body workers and things like that. They yeah. are, by the way, I know uh, that they are going to write up a uh, takeaways article from various people that were there. Massage and body work well. Yeah. Yeah. To go to get some of that. Yeah. But all that aside, yeah, you said it was nice to get together with people. That was really, that's always the, the the um most heartwarming part of it for me too is coming together with people that I haven't seen in a long time and that's yeah I got yeah. a lot of history with some people in that world and you know so just seeing old colleagues and friends and mentors like Robert Schleip like mm -hmm. Tom Myers like uh Sharon Wheeler going on down the list and then also getting to have conversations or see in person or ask questions of researchers that have a lot of respect for like Stuart Nagel, like Helene Langevin, Anna Peter Friedel, all these people that I've been whose work I've been following and and learning from, getting to actually go up to them and thank them for that or actually ask them a question too. Or there was that lunch when we were sitting there during uh, it wasn't a lunch, it was a Helene Langevin's presentation, chit-chatting with our table mates. And during her presentation about inflammation, one of my favorite topics, she says, oh, and there's this really interesting paper by Patricia Houston about the net, you know, network analysis of systemic influences of inflammation. And Patricia Houston was the woman that was there at our table we were chatting yeah, to. Right. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, she had to stand up and take a round of applause for her work. So yeah. it was just great to rub elbows with the people actually on the ground asking yeah. the questions, doing yeah. that kind of work. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely true. And in particular, your point about being able to ask some of these researchers more specific questions about what they're doing and, you know, see them kind of light up a little bit sometimes and recognizing some of the clinical applications of, of their work and everything was was really fascinating. I had an interesting conversation um, with one of my dinner colleagues at um, on uh, Monday evening, and yeah. she is a researcher in the U.K., um, doing some some work with especially with athletics, the athletic population and fascial research. Mm -hmm. And she said something mm -hmm. really interesting to me. She said, you know, at the university where she is, there is, um, you know, when she initially proposed what she was doing, there was um, a fair amount of support for it saying like, you know, this is this sounds really interesting. You're really into this fascia stuff. Let's see, you know, tell us what you want to do. And she wrote up this, you know, comprehensive proposal and was getting this support from everybody in, in the department. Mm -hmm. And then they said, well, so when do we start doing the injections? And right. she said, no, we're not actually looking at injections. We're looking at manual therapy. And it was kind of like all of a sudden the, you know, blood just rushed from their faces. Like, Oh, we're not really interested. <laughs> well, <there's laughs> because that. you know, there's financial ramifications of things like that with, yes, you know, with injection therapies and things like that. And, and it, the point that was brought up was just that a lot of the things that we're particularly interested in, are still stymied by the economics of the research world of what people uh -huh. can get funding to look into. Um, and yes. to be honest, manual therapy just doesn't rank really high on the list because it's not something that companies can make money from. Well, so. that's an interesting point. Yeah. There were, yeah, I would say the practitioners there, I didn't do a poll, but my impression was they were maybe evenly split, at least 60, 40 somewhere, manual therapy to movement therapy. So there's, you know, there's a lot of applications now in the fascia research world to movement therapies. Mm -hmm. And as we're learning, those things really need to work together. You know, we need to be moving as well as getting our body work to have, you know, a change in a lot of symptoms. Yeah. But no, it's the same, same challenges there. 
And then there's also just, it's some of it's delivery mechanism, some of it's, you know, financial incentives, some of it's just paradigms and uh, university uh, institutions. But it was, uh, you know, I think there was, there were quite a number of people, at least in my one day workshop in inflammation, quite a number of people that were hands-on practitioners working in different academic settings, uh, either doing research themselves or involved in that. So that was really, it was cool to see too, but you're right. We are, yeah. on the, we are on the fringe in terms of the medical world. Yeah. Sense. yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, some, let's drill down into some specifics here. Yeah. Like what are some specific let's, takeaways for you? What really get to the take your bulb, so to speak? The stuff people were texting about. So Till, tell me what's, what do we yeah. need to know about this? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I have them. I have them. I'm still, uh, I'm still prevaricating a little bit here because the overall impact of the event really was the breadth of the field and the ways that the different disciplines are getting coming together and interacting and everything from oncology to uh, tissue science, to physics, to exercise and to mm. rehabilitation, to movement, people doing therapy, uh, I mean, uh, doing research rather on the results of uh, Botox injections on and on down the list yeah. of, the, of the ways these things influence fascia and it's re, you know, resulting rehabilitation or pain related questions. So it, it, the takeaways, you know, that I was looking for were again, things that I can apply in my practice. And uh, I got to hand it to my uh, friend, colleague and mentor, Robert Schleip. If I could, I would have him on every episode of this podcast. Uh, so I'm glad you stopped me from that. And he's, he stops me as well. Well, but... maybe I shouldn't stop you. I mean, I would, I would love to delve into those <laughs> conversations too. I mean, my, my list of questions that I wanted to ask him got longer and longer. Longer so, as yeah. we go. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's been in the background. He's on the board, the, the selection committee and on the board of directors of this event. He doesn't take a front row seat in the presentations he sits right up front listening to the presentation but he doesn't get up on the stage that much but the one time he did which was actually in a breakout he gave a little overview of some of the most interesting research happening on a small scale now in the fascial world and one of those was a study on tissue stiffness as correlated to depression scores on a depression instrument and i have to drill down and get the reference a little better he mentioned it in his recent massage and bodywork mag uh, article as well, which is actually, I want to just recommend, it's a really good overview of both some of his historical thinking and the research he's been working on for a couple of decades, but then the most recent updates, he did a great job of encapsulating that, again, in the most recent uh, article of massage and body work, which I'm looking for, and I do not have here on my desk to give a date, but I'll bet you could find that pretty easily. It's on the, on their site, and it's, I know you can access it for free if you're not a subscriber. Was that in the, the uh, recent um, fascial um special that they did yeah right it was their okay. special special fashion edition he wrote a yeah. future article and in that article he mentioned this this research where they were using an indentimeter a little device that measures the uh pliability and elasticity and stiffness of the tissues and they measured a standardized place on the body and then they scored people on a depression instrument answering questions and sure enough, the people that answered uh, with more uh, depressive scores had stiffer tissue. Go figure. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means, you know, it needs to be unpacked. Do we do we get depressed because we're stiffer, or are we stiffer because we're depressed? All those kind of questions. But it's just it's a great uh, it's unusual in that it is a correlation across this body mind 
continuum that we know about that seems intuitive to us and that we kind of assume is there, but can but it's rarely researched and rarely actually measured yeah. in the ways that the study he was laying out was. I can't remember. I think I was in that presentation and I can't remember if somebody asked him like, you know, for thoughts of what that potentially might mean. Like it, it, just simply what comes to mind is like maybe people who are depressed are a whole lot more sedentary because they don't want to get up and do anything. And Oh, the mechanisms of why that comes about? Yeah, that may be, you know, part of what leads to mm -hmm. that, you know. There's, I mean, we could speculate about any number of mechanisms. There are inflammatory patterns that involve a kind of reactivity that are involved in depression and involved in tissue stiffness. So there's some shared mechanisms just to, that go across the kind of bio-psycho barrier. Yeah. So there mm -hmm. could be, you know, all kinds of things happening there. But yeah, for sure, act, levels of activity, all those things would need, need to be yeah. considered. And then then it becomes, pro, you know, uh, you, you, what can we do to change it? In other words, if we change the tissue stiffness to someone's score change mm -hmm. or the other way around. Yeah. And uh, I think one of my most uh, interesting or most enjoyable, I guess, conversations with him was on the dinner cruise out on the on the uh, water there where we're talking and socializing and he said uh, someone started playing the music and he says you know it's a proven fact that you can't brown and bounce at the same time so there's a whole group of us bouncing up and down there on the deck trying you to keep our frown and bounce <laughs> yes so we're jumping up and down yeah. trying to frown and there's something to that where it's just that that uh, state of mind shifts is when you're changing your state of movement as well yeah Interesting. Yeah. Unscientific study. Right. All right. How about you? What's one of yours? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a boy, there's uh, quite a number of things that sort of like um, piqued my curiosity. But, you know, I'm a biomechanics geek. So I was uh, going yes. to a lot of the presentations that were around this. And one of the things that struck me is kind of a theme. This was actually across a number of different presentations that I think is really relevant for a lot of. Um, massage and soft tissue manual therapy practitioners, especially those who are working with active populations like um, high-level athletics and things like that. This concept and idea about tissues working in series together and elastic mm -hmm. recoil in the connective tissues. And in particular, what we're talking about here is, um, I think it might have been Stu McGill's um, presentation where he initially talked about this, but this was also in Mark Driscoll's um, keynote as well. Mm -hmm. looking at the role of the lumbodorsal fascia in force transmission across the spine. But they gave an example of um, a kangaroo um, mm -hmm. as an animal which has a tremendous amount of power generated to be able to hop, lift its yes. body weight and hop like it does. And same thing with an antelope. Um, they don't actually have the muscular strength to make those kind of leaps and jumps that way, that a lot of what ha is happening there is that there is muscle contraction, but the tissues are, because they are in series, and what that actually means is we're talking about, imagine, you know, two tissues end to end. So muscle essentially, just to simplify, over grossly oversimplify this, muscle uh -huh. blending in with the fascial connective tissues of the tendon uh, and then to the bone. We consider those being in series as opposed to, Tissues that might be, you know, two muscles running right next to each other, those are considered tissues that are in parallel. So there's not as much force transmitted between tissues that are in parallel uh, position as those that are in series connected to one, one another. Mm -hmm. But the tendinous tissue in particular in uh, individuals 
has a property known as elastic recoil in the in the connective tissue in the fascial connective tissue of the tendon which can store kinetic energy essentially and so the slight pre-stretch that happens on those tissues when you like jump down and land is then you know recoiled out of there to mm -hmm. elevate you and push you and propel you forward during the jump um mm -hmm. and so uh Stu McGill in had a um a slide that he put on the screen of a guy who had won one of the uh, basketball slam dunk competitions and yeah. said, you know, the guy could jump up so high, like get half his body above the base of the backboard in the basket. He was just incredible jump height. And yeah. they showed this guy supine on the treatment table and said, look at what he can do with straight leg raise with his hamstrings. And they got his leg elevated about 45 degrees off the table. That's You'd think, oh man, somebody who can yeah. jump that high, they must have incredibly flexibility to their body. No, he could only lift his, his leg 45 degrees off the table. That's because the myofascial chain for him is such a precision and highly tuned spring mm -hmm. to be able to allow himself to do this. And this is you know, where you translate these concepts into maybe working with high-level athletics. We're always trying to get people looser saying, thinking mm -hmm. this idea like, oh, we should get these, we should loosen them up so they can, you know, have great flexibility and perform better. That may be really an impairment to their function um, in certain instances, especially when you're talking about explosive level um, athletic um, mm -hmm. forces needed uh, at high, very high performance levels, getting somebody's hamstrings loosened or whatever might actually slow them down and impair their performance. So uh, that's a yes. really interesting concept, important to think about, because I think there's a whole lot of emphasis that we always hear and put on like getting people looser. And that's not always right. the thing that needs to be done. No, that's, that's a really good point. It's a fundamental one to understanding of how our, how our models are evolving. Because I mean, in the simplest level, a lot of massage therapists learned that if I can make it softer, people feel better. And so we, you know, maybe unconsciously applied that principle to everything. Yeah. And it seems to work for a lot, but no, you've just given an example where we don't want to make everything softer all the time. Yeah. And especially people involved, like you said, in uh, rebounds activities, but all of us to some extent. Yeah. We, you know, our, our tendons are springs. Our muscles are tuning the preload on those springs and the loading and unloading of those springs is what helps us move. Especially yeah, when we're bouncing along and without a frown on our face. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I got uh, one. What else? What else you got there? Well, a related, somewhat related concept. This was a Dr. Tina Wang, who I hope to get on our podcast. She said she wants to come talk about it because she was blowing my mind. Her, she did a research project on people with Erlos Danlos syndrome, which is a connective tissue disorder characterized by really super flexible joints. So like no elastic recoil, just people mm -hmm. you know, famously can bend their fingers back to their elbow kind of thing Yeah, with EDS. So she did a study of uh, them involving Botox injections to, to, to work with their, uh, again, I'm going to say it wrong. So you need to get her on the uh, program to explain her study to measure the results of that. And some of her findings were just so counterintuitive that I was like, wait a minute, did I write this down right? And I'm not sure I have yet. So I'm, again, I'm reluctant to go into specifics, but one of her findings that I wrote down was that EDS folks have less glide between their layers, not more, even though their tissues tend to be much softer 
much more elastic in a sense. There's actually less glide overall. Mm. And that glide is is emerging as one of the key concepts. We don't want to mash things and make them soft, but we do, we assume so far, want them to glide. And that is one of the things that manual therapy seems to be particularly effective with, is helping there be differentiation glide between layers through yeah. hydration mechanisms, things like that. But in the case of EDS, where there's already a lot of movement, turns out they had less glide. And 90% of people with that diagnosis deal with some sort of uh, myofascial pain, meaning pain that seems to be uh, related to uh, their tissues, to soft tissue-based pain. Yeah. And so she's got, she's she's actually is a manual therapy practitioner herself and has some interesting ideas about how this applies to manual therapy with people with hypermobility syndromes, which is a big frontier for us to understand better. And her research is, like I said, counterintuitively mixing us up. Mm -hmm. We got to figure out what this all means. Yeah. And an important um, sort of caveat with thinking about this in relation to manual therapy, many patients with EDS can't take yes. pressure work. Thank you for mentioning and that. So, right. you know, if if what we might be able to do might, for example, help encourage some gliding between those more superficial layers Maybe where there right. is such rich sensory innervation, um, those could be some of the best strategies for working with some of those kinds of people. Yeah, that's right. Or the plot thickens where they can take deep tissue work. They even want it because they feel stiff and feel painful, but there's very often a, an extreme reaction afterwards. Yeah. A lot of people are in pain and feel stiff to themselves, even yeah. though they feel soft to our hands and they're very flexible and will guide their practitioner to deeper and deeper work. And then the next day just be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the classic EDS. Yeah. And that's, that's a good well. thing to remember. Mom, my mother had EDS and, you know, she could just, you know, accidentally bang her hand on the table or something like that, not necessarily feel extreme pain or discomfort or anything like that at all. But yeah. the next day it would just be absolutely blown up and swollen and wow. you know, bruised incredibly, you know, capillaries uh, just, you know, oh. breaking down everything. And so, yeah, she had some is issues early on, I think. Well, part of this is that they didn't really know a lot about EDS when she was young. Mm. And so she and her brother, who both had this, you know, frequently were having problems with, um, you know, trying to figure out what was going on with them and everything. But uh, oh, I'll bet. I remember still trying the, to figure it out. Yeah, there was some things, you know, I've, I remember when my mom told me one of her very good friends came up to her one time, you know, she came into work with some like really bad bruise on her face and blood vessels, you know, broken in yeah. her eye and her yeah. like, do you need me to help you like, you know, be safe at home kind of thing, you know, yeah, because she had right. this perception that maybe there was some domestic abuse going on at yeah. home. Um, but she said, oh, no, no, this is not the issue here. So, yes. you know. no, it's, it's, uh, it's a puzzle. It's a big puzzle. And you, yeah. you I forgot about your background there, but that's, again, that's going to be a line of inquiry for me. I can tell. Yeah. In the coming months or years. Yeah. Indeed. So. All right. So what else? What else you got? Yeah. Well, this is, uh, you know, kind of along the same lines. Um, and this is something I also think came out of uh, Robert Schleip's presentation. And just also just not only here at the Congress, but, you know, a lot of his, you know, reading a lot of his work and and some of the mm -hmm. things in, in his books and, and papers. Uh, but um, for me, uh, uh, just a further kind of refinement and understanding of how, critical and valuable is this sort of relationship understanding between the extremely rich sensory 
uh, innervation to fascial tissues mm-hmm. and the proprioceptive information that we're getting through our bodies mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. on tension, pressure, uh, stresses on those tissues and how that plays a role in both creating more efficient movement, dealing with pain problems and that sort of thing. And um, recognizing that this extremely richly innervated um, connective tissue uh, is something uh, that has a whole lot of um, uh, impact on on the way in which people are are doing things and what our manual therapy might be doing with them as well. Um, so yeah. uh, that was just a more so I'd say a, a refinement of of things that I've been kind of thinking about, uh, thinking a lot about and exploring. Um, and thinking about that, mm-hmm. uh, I wanted to ask you a question about this mm-hmm. because this question was kind of like, you know, balance or bouncing around in my head yeah. in the manual therapy worlds. Um, do you feel like uh, that we can say that there is something that we would consider fascial work, meaning that we can target that tissue specifically, or is it really something maybe where we might be more inclusive thinking about just the fascial ramifications of anything that we do in a wide variety of different uh, implications. So a question more about like, yeah. can we target that tissue? Uh, I know that's a question that it, come, it came up on the, you know, the criticisms of fascial approaches in the pain science world. Like how, how why do you think you can just work on fascia? And uh, I don't know that we, my own tells opinion. I don't know that we can or need to, or should think say we're just working on fascia that fascia is just it and certainly you know, fascia worked its way myofascia worked in, into the way into the name of my book and so the work i teach but honestly if i could it would probably be about 18 syllables long mm. you know it'd be neuro osteo psychosocial yeah, right. myofascia it would be everything would be in there yeah because no we're not just targeting fascia anytime we talk i mean so they're and they're conceptual models i mean mm-hmm. as you know whitney they're not i don't know any uh empirical or objective test that can show that we're able to touch anything other than skin. And there's debates about, say, you know, the uh, frictionless interface idea, things like that, say, how much can we affect anything under the surface? Mm -hmm. But in my mind, it's it's, uh, not so important that I just touch fashion. It's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. That's not what I'm trying to do at all. I'm I am feeling things under my hands and I'm responding to what I feel. And I am asking and finding out what my client feels. And together we're working on those things. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense to me, based on the learning I've had done in this field and in others, that we're getting a lot of sensation from what we call fascia. A lot of the nerve endings are embedded in different fascial layers so that our brain is getting more bandwidth from those layers and probably any other structure with the skin yeah. coming close, but uh, there's a slight numerical edge, I guess, for the fascia over the skin. But that aside, um, I'm no, I don't think it's so possible to say we can work just on fascia or that we need to, or that yeah. we should be. You know? yeah. Maybe, maybe as a therapeutic narrative, mm-hmm. I mean, just like chiropractors work on bone or, uh, you know, acupuncturists work on chi or something like that. It's like a model we use, but is that objectively the case? Who knows? Who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Well, for me, it's always, um, you know, I, I know that I'm overly analytical about a lot of different kinds of things, but I like to know 
why things work, you know, yeah. what's happening. And so for me, it right. kind of plays into the whole narrative of trying to figure out what are the physiological effects of soft tissue manipulation. Mm. And sort of like, yep. in order for me to think about like, how do I maximize certain effects for certain types of things where I'm trying to help somebody this way or certain types of things where I'm trying to help somebody another way. And so yeah, yeah. for me, I, I think it's more of like um, falling under the umbrella that um, I don't really have a, a strong sense of feeling like, like we can really target that tissue there. And again, this is sort of narratives of some different types of technique approaches that, uh -huh. um, and I think a lot of them are, are older um, narratives that we don't hear so much. So I don't think it's so much about targeting that particular tissue as it is having a better understanding of the systems that mm. are around and the way in which, I mean, you know, especially if you look at Schleip's work, it's very difficult to talk about fascial tissues without talking about the neurological system because they're just yeah. so, so enmeshed with each other. So it's almost like you said, it's the, the neuromyofascial osteo, you know, whatever kinds of things. Yeah. Lymphatic system. Yeah. Yes. And so well. it, it becomes extremely difficult for us to really separate those things apart. And so uh, I am tending to really think now more about sort of like, these are the, if we have to look at these categories, you know, these are some of the more muscular oriented effects of this type of work. These are some of the more maybe neurological aspects of what happens with this particular type of work. And these are some of the more um, t effects that we might be able to be, you know, generating or paying attention to what's going on with, mm -hmm. with fascial connections here or something like that. So yeah, I kind of try to, to look at it more, I think as sort of a, an, overarching umbrella of of those different approaches um, without really yeah. thinking about targeting a, a particular tissue. Well, yeah, fascia's uh, role in the body as connective tissue has lent at the theme of connecting and integrating too. So when we talk about a muscle, another term for muscle is a myofascial unit. It's almost impossible to talk about muscle separate from its fascia that yeah. invests it and forms it. And the same is true for a nerve. The same is true for a blood vessel. The same is true for an organ. They're all fascial structures with different specialized cells and structures within their fascial envelopes. So in that sense, um, anytime we talk about something fascial, we're talking about something else. And yeah. anytime we talk about something else, it includes a fascial, a connective tissue, a collagen-based kind of structure mm -hmm. there as well. Yeah. yeah I, and I think there have been some... Uh you know, gross oversimplifications of some of these concepts and ideas um, uh -huh. as they entered into our world, you know, s s people saying uh -huh. things like, well, fascia is everywhere, so it does everything. You know, it's just like, that's just a gross oversimplification yeah. <laughs> of of some of those uh, facets of, of anatomy. Um, yeah. Uh, but also saying no, like, no, well, we, we can't, you right. know, there's a study that says we can't, um, you know, mechanically elongate fascia. So there's no point in talking about it. So, um, uh -huh. you know, there's, there's different or sides. Of the pendulum, because, you know? yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's, it's, um, the pendulum is swinging around and it goes from like, wow, fascia is amazing. Yeah. It's so cool to like fascia is totally irrelevant. And, yeah. uh, it, it, they're both true. They're mm -hmm. both true. Yeah. It all depends. And it, and, you know, that's the, again, the title that's on this conference we went to, it's the Fascial Research Congress, and that was the unifying theme. But, it, you know, in Berlin back uh, four years ago, really the theme that was emerging is it's less about the fibers in this tissue and it's more about their fluid interactions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that theme continued here where it was becoming less about this, you know, uh, stuff and more about what it does, more about the ways it interacts and more about the 
processes that are going yeah. on within it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm just always amazed too. One of my, uh, one of the presenters I was most looking forward to, Peter Friedel has you know, had a, we just got a little bit of him in Berlin, the last one. This time he had a whole morning, a whole longer keynotes uh, presentation where he was sharing his amazing images of cellular motility within fascia, within the layers of the connective tissues involved. His most of his research on, is around oncology and tumor spread. So he was showing the ways that uh, cells move in that situation, but it applies to wound healing and it applies to tissue, new tissue formation and all kinds of things, how the fibroblasts essentially tunnel, find their channels through the tissue and weave together the uh, fabric of the uh, tissues based on its fluid channels and also do their inflammatory effects of inflammatory resolution and turning down inflammation by going places in the tissue. Uh, is it time for the his like headline? Should we go into like... I think it's definitely time for that, yes. Yeah, I... Well, he, you know, his presentation was spectacularly visual. He had these amazing micrographs where he'd uh, show real-time living tissues, the, the cells moving around in them. And one of the questions him as a cancer researcher gets is, should we be massaging tumors? Mm-hmm. And there's various uh, lines of thought around that. But he said, let's see. So he got a rat specimen with the tumor and took a probe and starts massaging it and was able to... Sh- photograph tumor pseudopods, this parts of the tumor spreading out into the channels around the tumor. And the room was, of course, silent. We were like shocked to see like, okay, here's yeah. somebody massaging tumors out into the tissue. And then his next slide was don't massage tumors. Mm-hmm. That was his takeaway. Thank you very yeah. much, everybody. Uh, have a good day. That yeah. was the end of the presentation. <laughs> and there were a lot of jaws laying all over the floor. after that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It was because what's you know, it's been such a battle in the oncology massage world to say, listen, just because someone has a cancer diagnosis, we shouldn't be afraid to touch them. We shouldn't be afraid to give them the benefits that they get from hands-on work. Yeah. And of course, you take this, uh, his final slide, don't massage tumor to its logical conclusion. And that complicates that question quite a bit. Yeah. And uh, you and I uh, were talking about this immediately afterwards and and just noting that we got to be really careful about blanket generalized statements about that because, you know, that is in essence not necessarily what you need to take away from that research right away because we got to talk about like exactly what did he do and maybe because he used a little tool, you know, that he was um, using there and do we know, for example, that the same thing happens with manual therapy that happens with this little tool? I mean, there's just a, a do bunch. We know, of right. Do we know up. the same thing happens in humans as is in his rat models, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he himself said, well, this is maybe accelerating a process that was happening anyway. Maybe we push some of the pseudopods out there one week sooner than they would have got there on their own. Yeah. So there's lots of questions there about even his conclusion, don't massage tumors. But I, you know, I think most of us would agree. Yeah, if we know there's a tumor there, we don't want to go massage it for goodness' yeah. sake. Yeah. But it does raise some questions that I think are going to be reverberating for a while about this. You know, what? How do we uh, reconcile the benefits that people get from the work with the you know the theoretical risks that he was able to show in the laboratory? Yeah. I mean, just and again to. to 
to put even more disclaimers on it. We don't know what this means. It's one study in rodents. It's one slide in one conference. There's been a couple decades now of people looking very hard at this question and their existing takeaway is, you know, you can safely work with people with cancer for sure. And there's so much benefit that comes yeah. from the work we get. And very important to remember in, in the process of research that oftentimes there's a debate, you know, between mm -hmm. uh, individuals who, you know, somebody may find something completely different. Uh, and maybe there were just some um, odd things that happened in this particular group of, of um, specimens that were being studied until that is replicated a number of times or there's some other things that look into it more specifically. Uh, you know, I think the caution that we were sort of talking about with a lot of people afterwards is like, well, let's mm -hmm. don't, let's don't just freak out about this yet um, in terms of completely altering what we, what we think we know. I hope to get him on the, 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 yeah. the, the program and talk to him about his, his really interesting work about the cellular motility idea, that idea in particular, but also the implications for wound healing and the understanding of how fibroblasts work, how they decide where to lay down tissues that, you know, the active involvement of individual cells in that whole process and the effects of mechanical forces on them. Of course, that's in the back of my mind is what does this mean for me in my hands-on practice? He's measuring the effects of mechanical forces on at the cellular level. Yeah. Jules Mitchell referred to this when we talked to her about her uh, stretching book, uh, biomechanics, yoga biomechanics. Jules Mitchell talked about, well, there's all these effects we know mechanical forces have on tissue, but then there's cellular effects as well. And it turns out that the cell function, especially fibroblasts, and Helene Langevin mentioned this too, we're just beginning to understand how mechanical forces like loading and perhaps like massage and manual therapy changes the way the cells function, mm -hmm. and changes the way they lay down collagen or the way they deal with inflammation, the way they do their jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. So, okay. Good stuff. You yeah. got any more? Um, I think those were the really the the key points of things. I kind of wrapped yeah. up several things together in in my sort of key point takeaways there. So um, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of a, a good uh, overall summary of the the big things that that were uh, pertinent for me. Anything else that you have? That you no, want there's so much. I got pages and notes, like I said, but yeah. I think those were the the ones where the pink highlighter came out and go, yeah, this is the one that has a a really clear application. Yeah. And it's going to keep settling out. This is what it was like for me after the previous ones too, that these ideas sort and sift. And I find myself actually thinking about them in the practice room in ways that I didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. I didn't anticipate at all. So yeah. you're already trickling into my uh, my thinking and my teaching and my work. Yeah. Again, just as in terms of of a sort of retrospective, um, also of just sort of like looking across the decades, I, I would just also want to say that mm. I find it both remarkable and just uh, inspiring and invigorating to uh, see mm -hmm. the interest in uh, manual therapists having about science and research oh, and yeah. learning more about what we do and the flip side of that researchers having interest in what happens in in manual therapy approaches as well and it's really you know yeah we got a long way to go mm -hmm. in terms of like getting those it's places true. connected but um you know i remember what it was like um and i'm sure you do too of uh -huh. uh, the the early days when we were just sort of in a whole lot more in silos without being yes. you know having a lot of connection with those types of things and and to me it's it's both inspiring and and exciting to see the the connections 
um, that are being built and the bridges that are getting built and the ability that we have, for example, like you said, for us to sit at the table and talk with Patricia Houston about a lot of these fascinating things and, you know, have a conversation with uh, all these other folks about, you know, seeing like the interesting places where our work intersects and collides with other things that people are doing and see like, wow, I never really thought about this. And so, um, yes. yeah, or just the is... poster poster presentations, a couple dozen maybe posters of people in the midst of various research projects mm-hmm. and just the creativity and the breadth of the questions people are investigating. Yeah. I think everything from, you know, breast cancer to the Botox ediastatic I mentioned on and on down the yeah. list. Lots yeah. of interesting things coming up. Yeah. So speaking of things coming up, uh-huh. You got some stuff still coming up here too. Um, well, that's right? nice of you to mention that. Yeah, yeah. this is uh, right after this uh, episode airs, I'll be starting my uh, principles course in the Ilian SI joints. We've been pitching this every episode for the past few. So it's, you know, this will be the final pitch. It's not too late to join live if you're listening to this before October 5th, 2022, or it's available later by recording. But I hope you do come jump in live. You can just listen to the lectures or you can do the whole package of uh, options, of learning options, including small groups, practice periods, uh, recordings, on and on. Again, October 5th, this is the first lecture date. Advancedtrainings.com is where you go to find out about it. Thank you for mentioning that, Whitney. That's my little uh, advanced training sponsor pitch. And then I also want to thank our other sponsors, and uh, ABMP was our opening sponsor. Our closing sponsor today is Handspring Publishing. It was nice to meet them there to actually yes. get the you know Jessica Kingsley, uh, and their people were there with the Handspring collection. It was great to get to know them and talk to them there at the Fascial Research Congress. Yeah, and the little story I tell is that they were the ones that I decided to go with when I was looking for a publisher, even though I had an off much bigger offer from a much bigger publisher. I went with Handspring who was just four people in Scotland. And to this day, I'm glad I chose to go with them because they helped me make the books I wanted to make. And their catalog continues as one of the leading collections of professional level books written, especially for body workers, movement teachers, and all professionals who use movement or touch to help patients achieve wellness. And I would also just like to say that, you know, while we have seen some of the other big publisher players on the field cutting back their manual therapy catalogs. Mm. Um, Handspring is one company that has been continuing to expand this. And it's just been very impressive to watch the growth and diversity of uh, titles and, and things that they that they bring in there. It's just, it, it really, I think it elevates the profession significantly. So, uh, you know, they recently, as uh, you mentioned, joined with Jessica Kingsley Publishers, the Integrative Health Singing Dragon imprint where their uh, impact will continue. So head on over to their website at handspringpublishing.com to check out their list of titles and be sure to use the code TTP at checkout for a discount. And we thank you again so much, Handspring, for sponsoring the podcast. So thank you to all of our sponsors. And of course, to you, the listeners, thanks for hanging out with us uh, here today. Um, You can stop by our sites for show notes, uh, transcripts, and any extras You can find that off of my site at academyofclinicalmassage.com. And Till, from yours, where can people find that? Uh, Advancedtrainings.com, advancedtrainings.com. I should mention that the next Fascial Research Congress is going to be 2025 in New Orleans, August 2025 in New Orleans. Yeah, so that'll be fun. Put that on your calendar. Hope to see you there. 
Uh, if there are questions or things you want to hear us talk about on the podcast, Whitney and I, just email us at info at thethinkingpractitioner.com or look for us on social media just under my names. Under our names, <laughs> my name is Till Luca. Uh, how my many of name... those names do you have? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, and uh, you can find that uh, also under mine at Whitney Lowe um, on social media as well. Uh, you can rate us on Apple Podcasts as it does help other people find the show. That's quite important. So take a moment to do that if you can. You can also hear us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you happen to listen and please do share the word and tell a friend about it so they can learn from it as well. So thank you very much, sir, for that uh, recap. Once again, it was great to hang out with you in three dimensions uh, over there in Montreal for a little while. And um, we'll it look was. forward it's to It was. It's nice to debrief as well. So yeah, yeah, we'll look forward to our next conversations, wherever they may take us. Some of these are going to be part twos. I got my wish list of people to talk to from that conference, and I, I know we'll be finding more interesting things to talk about as we move forward. Yes, indeed. We did, well. um, you know, plant some seeds with quite a number of people there that we said, hey, we got to have you come talk to us because uh, our listeners want to hear some more about what you're up to. So those those will be some other interesting topics we'll get to here shortly. Yeah. So, all right. Until then, we'll see you all again in two weeks. Bye for now. Okay. <laughs>